Hello, everyone. I'm Leonard Malton, and this is Malton on Movies with Baron Vaughn. And I'm with Baron Vaughn. Yes, I, I, I'll put that in my business card if I were you. I think it's good. I'm with, with Baron Vaughn. Not everybody gets a with. I'm trying to come up with catchphrases. Someday I'll have some. <laughs> Work on it. Yes. Is that a, like a New Year's resolution, perhaps? That is, that is one of the things I have promised to do myself in this new year is All just right. come up with a slew of catchphrases instead of having any genuine conversations. <laughs> <laughs> it's a plan. What about yourself? Uh I've given up on resolutions. <laughs> you resolve to not I, resolve I anything. Although I made one last night, actually, about not working too late at night and then trying to go to sleep because that doesn't work. Oh, okay. You so made it at it, night I at 1 o'clock in the morning. Night, yes. Okay. And by the morning, I may have forgotten it. I don't know. Uh, here's somebody we can't forget. We're going to talk today about an actress who has made her mark. Was that a good segue or was that a bad that segue? That was a hell of a segue, okay. actually. We're talking about one of my favorite actresses, yours too? Yes. Julianne Moore. Yes. A great, great actress uh, with a remarkable resume, great career, uh, getting a lot of uh, attention at this moment uh, because of a performance, a wonderful performance she's given in a film called Still Alice as a woman, a very brilliant woman who's a college professor who comes to understand that she has contracted early Alzheimer's disease. This is not a cheerful movie, but it's a a good one with a great performance. It's a tearful movie is what it's Yes. And But she's fearless as an actor. She'll tackle anything and, and has. And that's what these movies that we're going to discuss show. Yeah. She's got four Oscar nominations to her credit, Boogie Nights, End of the Affair, The Hours, and Far From Heaven. Uh, four really good movies couldn't be more different from each other. And she won an Emmy playing Sarah Palin in Game Change, that TV movie a few years it's ago. An HBO movie. I think it was, uh, yeah, Game Change with Woody Harrelson. Yep. And she just won the Best Actress Prize at Cannes this past year, 2014, for a film I haven't yet seen called Maps to the Stars, directed by David Cronenberg and written by Bruce Wagner. So those are great credentials, wow, and I'm yeah. looking forward to that film. So Julianne Moore, she's been on the scene a while because she started out in New York, uh, was a uh, college-trained actress. Yes, my alma mater, Boston University. Uh, very good, and, uh, and a good school and a good graduate. Indeed. Two good graduates, actually. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> and, uh, and she did uh, daytime soap operas, did some stage work, and started working in some films, some TV. I first noticed her in Robert Altman's Shortcuts, which I realize is 1993, so that's just over 20 years ago. And the next year, she was in uh, Louis Miles Vanya on 42nd Street, in which she was extraordinary. The next year, a lot of people took notice of her in Safe. Todd Haynes film, mm. and then came Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights has to stand out on her resume because she plays a porn actress named Amber Waves, and there's a crucial scene in the movie where you see her making a porn movie, and she has to play a bad actress. <laughs> yes. How does a great actress portray a bad actress? It's really, really hard to I do, actually. I, I can't imagine how, <laughs> but she did it because she's great. She's a hugely talented woman. And now she's got the role of the president of District 13 in The Hunger Games. Uh, she was in Mockingjay Part 1 and will be in the next one as well. So her career is showing no signs of uh, slowing down at all. And thank goodness for that because we're the, we're the recipients of all that wonderful, wonderful performance. Incredibly art. consistent, so magnetic. Uh, I I love her eyes. It's probably one of my favorite things. You oh, tune yeah. in to everything that's going on behind those eyes. Oh yeah, yes, exactly. Watching her face is uh, 
is no chore. Well, she's a beautiful woman, of course. Yes. And, and has remained beautiful and even does cosmetic ads in, in magazines that you see all the time. But she isn't afraid to go without makeup in a film. To and she doesn't want one of the films we're going to see today. And she'll, as I say, she'll play anything. She'll play a totally unlikable character. She'll play extreme characters and has. We're going to talk about three films today, one of which you may know. And the other two you may not, and maybe one you shouldn't bother with. <laughs> <laughs> Still a good performance, not an yeah, incredible not, not film. Not her fault. Yes. Not her fault. I mean, like anybody, she's had her share of, of flop movies and, and misfires, but it's rarely her fault. Very rarely. No one has ever walked out of a Julianne Moore, a movie where she's in it going, well, she wasn't good. Yeah. She's always good. So we're going to start with one from the recent past, from 2010, called The Kids Are All Right. And this is a really first-rate film, co-starring Annette Bening. Uh, and it was nominated for four Oscars, for Best Picture, for Best Actress, Annette Bening, Best Supporting Actor, Mark Ruffalo, and Best Screenplay by the director, Lisa Cholodenko, and her writing partner, Stuart Blumberg. So it was well-honored the year it came out. But I have a peeve, I have a bone to pick with the awards community. What is that bone? Why did Annette Bening get all the awards attention and not... Julianne, Julianne Moore. Moore. I think they're equals in this movie. I think they really share the dramatic uh, weight and burden of the film. Do you? Oh, definitely. I mean, and a lot of a lot of actors say when they win awards, I would have been nothing without the person I was in those scenes with. Mm -hmm. And that is very true here. I mean, Annette Bening is a formidable, formidable actress. And she brings that to the to the heat, but of course, with Julianne Moore, someone who can actually match her, yes, it brings out the best in her, yes, and they really bring out the best in each other. The relationship that they create and the intimacy, and even just the little looks and just the codes of, mm -hmm. of two women who've been in a relationship for a really long time, right? It's so so beautiful. These are two women who have been in a, a marriage, yes, a, not in 2010, a legal marriage, perhaps, but in all other ways. A marriage and a solid marriage, and they have two children who are fifteen and eighteen years old. That they have each of them have birthed one of the children mm -hmm. from the same sperm donor. What? Well, uh, same anonymous. That's sperm important. Donor many years ago, and uh, yes, that's called foreshadowing. That might be important. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and the thing I love about this movie is that right away, I don't know how you feel, you just buy them, you believe oh. them as this couple. Oh, definitely. It's a slice of life movie. Yeah. I felt it, it's one of those movies that achieves that, for me, at least a fly on the wall effect where I'm just let in to the lives of these people already having lived these lives. And suddenly I'm in this slice of it. Yeah. They seem very comfortable together. They, they have that kind of uh, intimacy and uh, shorthand, verbal and visual shorthand that couples do. Yeah. Uh, and, and whether it's a, a heterosexual or homosexual couple, I think this is just a believable couple. Yes. And, Absolutely. And, and that's why the movie works. That's why the movie works is you, you invest in them. You believe in them. It's not about them being gay. It's about them being people. Yep. And, and parents. And parents. Parents dealing with parental issues as any parents would. Slightly dysfunctional parents. Yes. <laughs> yes. And because it's a long-term relationship and they've been together a long time, uh, the bloom is off the rose a little bit. Uh, there are some issues that rise to the surface that apparently have been there before. As would happen in a very long-standing mm -hmm. relationship. And, uh, and that's what I think gives the film such credibility. And yet the nice part of this movie is that it's really played lightly. 
<laughs> they, it, it's a film that takes itself seriously, but it's also a comedy. It's not severe. No. You never get hit on the head with things. Just, yeah. You're just things unfold. And you're like, no, or at least I was. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's a perfect blend of comedy and drama, uh, very artfully woven together so that it's not a message movie. It's not melodramatic in any way. It's, it's a believable, sli- as you say, slice of life uh, with a great sense of humor. And, and you couldn't ask for much more than that. Julianne Moore plays the woman who has been the stay-at-home mom for their two children, whereas Annette Benning is a hardworking doctor, a career woman, uh, and a good parent too. But uh, in their relationship, in their roles as a couple, she's been the one going to work every day, working hard, coming home, having some wine to unwind with. And Julianne Moore has been raising the kids. And uh, she's someone who never really carved a career for herself. She had some false starts. She said she studied architecture in school but dropped it. Uh, She's had a few failed business attempts. And as we join them uh, in the story, she has just decided she wants to take up landscaping. There's a uh, uh, slight tangent, a movie called Wanderlust – in which Paul Rudd's character says to somebody, how do you think it feels being with someone who's still trying to find their major? <laughs> and that's what applies to Julianne Moore's character yes. here is she's still yes. trying to find her major. Exactly. And I think they've both reluctantly fallen into these roles of breadwinner and housewife. Mm-hmm. And they're they're kind of bucking against those uh, those strictures of their rela- in, yeah. the, in their relationship. And it's clear that they love each other and they're even, and they're affectionate with each other too. But – there are there fissures. Is that the word? There, there fissures. Yeah, you know, like a, like a, a crack in the surface. Oh, oh, fissures, fissures, fissures. I thought you said fissures. They're fissures. Like I was like, oh well, yes. Well, for maybe, compliments. Maybe in the background, I didn't notice. Maybe there are. Oh, okay. But uh, uh, there, there are cracks. Okay. In the in the in the facade or in the in I'm the, with you the on the foundation that. of of their relationship definitely and uh, are they fatal uh, not really but but they they could be harmful and into this situation the two kids who've grown up very well and are very likable teenagers uh, the boy played by Josh Hutcherson whom you all know now from the uh, Hunger Games oh I was going to say films. which mountain films but <laughs> okay Hunger Games sure. And uh, Mia Wasikowska, who I just love, just a hugely talented actress from Australia, here again playing American, as she has many times. The accent stays pretty consistent. Oh, yeah. She's good. She's good. And she, the older one, about to go off to college, uh, helps her her younger brother and his curiosity to find out about their father. Because she's turned 18 – so now she's entitled to uh, actually make a phone call to find out who this person is yeah. to and, reach out. And that's the dramatic conflict of the story. That's really the centerpiece of the, of the film is the kids take it upon themselves to find out who donated that sperm so many years ago uh, and uh, help both of them come into the world. And they find that it's Mark Ruffalo, a very laid back kind of guy who runs a restaurant and does organic farming and uh, who's uh, just uh, – he's OK with almost anything. He's a, very mellow. A friend would call him uh, – a friend of mine would call him Crunchy Granola. Yes. He's a cr- Crunchy Granola kind of guy. He's, he is exactly that. Has a garden that is all – everything's organic, bro. I think he says bro. <laughs> I think he says bro a lot. 
I think he says bro a lot. He would be a person who says bro a lot. And he is, uh, besides being crunchy granola, he is a nice guy. He, he truly is. He's a nice guy. But it's hard to get a sense of him. Well, he's maybe not the most responsible person on the planet, but he is essentially a nice guy. And uh, the kids bring him into the family's life, and things happen. Yes, complications ensue. Complications ensue, indeed. And uh, that's that's where the film finds its uh, its centerpiece. We won't say more than that, because if you haven't seen it, and maybe you haven't. We're not going to be spoilers, are we? No, the kids are all right. Is amazing. <laughs> is all amazing. Nope, that didn't work. But yeah. at least I tried. <laughs> <laughs> and that reference to the Who song, uh, that is the title of the movie, resonates in another scene in the film that plays very, very well. Um, uh, sometimes you can use a song to 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 convey more than dialogue possibly could, and I think that one does. So uh, we're just fans of this movie. And fans of Julianne Moore in it. But why do you think – why do you think she didn't get the attention? Now, some of it is contrived by the studio, the releasing company. They decide to push Annette Benning. Uh, Annette Benning plays the more forceful character. It's true. Yes. And uh, her – she sort of expresses and states her feelings more overtly. Is it more of a departure for Annette Benning than it is for Julianne Moore well, maybe? I don't think so. She's played a variety of characters yeah. too. yeah. I'm just wondering how they might have seen it. Like, oh, yeah. Annette Benning is kind of butch in this. So, yeah. I don't know. I don't get it. But then when you look at it, as, as, as I just did and, and as you just did, with an eye specifically toward watching Julianne Moore. Moore's performance, I mean, she's so good. And, and, and again, it, it's not a stock character. She doesn't fall back. On, she never falls back on cliche, but she doesn't. You know, resort to anything simple. She doesn't make obvious acting choices. Yeah, but she still she still lays this. It's still believable. Yeah, there's no point where you don't understand. Even if she doesn't understand, you understand that she doesn't understand. Yeah. She's kind of she's kind of lost, as you say. She, she she not only hasn't she found her major, she hasn't found her through line in in this film and in this saga, and and in searching. She makes mistakes. She makes some silly mistakes and does some rash things and, and has to pay for it. Uh, and and there's, some, there's some wonderful scenes. And again, just looking at her face, she's so vulnerable. She's so, she's so genuinely sorry when she screws up. She yet can't help herself. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So interesting. Lisa Cholodenko is a, is a filmmaker I like a lot, and she has a knack for writing interesting Characters and then getting great actresses to play them. I'm thinking of Patricia Clarkson in her movie High Art, which is a great performance, mm. uh, worth seeing. And Frances McDormand in a film called Laurel Canyon about the Laurel Canyon music scene. Oh, yes. I love that film. So uh, hats off to Lisa Cholodenko. She does fine work. Yes, Laurel and, Canyon has a British person playing an American and an American playing a British person. <laughs> yeah. That's one of my favorite things about it. <laughs> So, uh, again, cheers to Julianne Moore for a wonderful performance. If you haven't seen it, and frankly, though it's only four years, well, now five years old in the new year, uh, I didn't mind watching it again. I didn't it mind at all. Feels, it felt incredibly timeless to me, if not steeped in the time that we're in. It's just, uh, man, and the soundtrack, fantastic. Mm -hmm. The editing, fantastic. There was places where I'm like, that's good lighting. I thought out to myself, <laughs> thought out loud to myself, but yeah. 
fantastic film. So with that, we'll move on. We'll now, move you on. Might say, say here we are, uh, you know, self-professed Julianne Moore. We have Julianne fans, Moore to talk about. Admirers, aficionados. But she's made some turkeys too. <laughs> it happens. And she's so prolific. She works all the time. So no one's going to bat a thousand. And she hasn't. What, you might wonder, is a film bad enough to be called Our Turkey of the Week? You'll find out in just a minute. Hi, this is Leonard Malton. And if you can't get enough of me between podcasts, which I can't imagine to be the case, you can always go to leonardmalton.com, where I have a website called Leonard Malton's Movie Crazy, because that's what I am. We've got a backlog of many years' worth of entries. It's not just current movie reviews. I cover DVDs, film books, which you might not know about otherwise, and journals of my adventures in the movie world, especially going to film festivals and other such gatherings. I have fun writing it. I hope you would have fun reading it. So give it a try at leonardmalton.com. Welcome back. I'm Leonard Malton. I'm with Baron Vaughn, and this is Malton on Movies with Baron Vaughn. Now, you, you added a the. You're not supposed to add a the. Wait, did I say the? Are you the I said the Baron Vaughn. I said with Baron We know Vaughn. you're Baron Vaughn. You're the only one out there. With the, the Baron Vaughn. Yeah. Some people do call me <laughs> the Baron, and those people are usually not. I'm waiting to see those business cards. I want to see those new business cards. I'll get them. Sure. I'll get them. Now, we're about to discuss a film from 2009 that is one of Julianne Moore's rare clunkers. And she always chooses interesting projects. Again, watching this again, revisiting this film, uh, I shouldn't tease. It's called Chloe. Chloe, yes. 2009. A film with a great pedigree. It's directed by Adam McGoyan, the very talented Canadian-based filmmaker. Exotica is one of his – Yes, and The Sweet Hereafter, which is perhaps his best-known film, uh, which earned him Oscar nominations for Best Screenplay and Best Director back in 1997. A guy I admire very, very much – But nobody's perfect. Someone thought it was a good idea to remake a French film uh, called Natalie from 2003 by Anne Fontaine, who's a talented filmmaker over there. And that had a fine cast, Gerard Depardieu, Fanny Ardant, and Emmanuel Bayard. Oh, yeah. I mean, okay. Didn't even know that movie was made. Now I got to go see it. Or maybe not. Uh-oh. Was that not, was that not amazing <laughs> Well, either? it wasn't terribly well-received either. <laughs> so why someone thought it was a good idea to remake it, I'm not sure. Let's remake a movie that wasn't that good yeah. and make it just as not good. <laughs> that seems to have been – if it wasn't the game plan, it's the result. It was the result, definitely. Oh, dear. Now, what do we say about this one? It stars Julianne Moore, Liam Neeson, and Amanda Seyfried. Yes. Is that how you say it? Well, you know, that's a challenge – for me, because I've heard many pronunciations of this young lady's name. Amada Seyfried. Yeah. Seyfried. Seyfried. I said, I Seyfried. usually say Seyfried, but that's probably yeah. incorrect, Freed. I think it's Seyfried, and I'm going to stick with that for now. Amanda, get back to us. Tweet but us. I, but I, I'm willing to be corrected. Believe me. So what you may ask is this about? Well, it opens very provocatively. Mm-hmm. With uh, Amanda Seyfried, 
Provocative is a good word. Well, the whole film is provocative. Well, it's a sexually provocative film. And that's one of the reasons I was interested in it, because Adam McGoyan has tackled subjects like this before and done mm-hmm. very well. And Julianne Moore has mm-hmm. been in movies where she's explored these parts of herself and done very well as well. Mm-hmm. Yet those things did not come together. Here, continue what you were saying. Well, yeah. Well, it starts off with Amada Seyfried narrating uh, as we watch her uh, in front of her vanity – mirror, uh, dressing herself in black lace underthings, undergarments. Uh, you see her naked breasts. Uh, you see her putting on the stockings and, and such. And she explains that she doesn't use the word prostitute, but she talks about how she knows what to do to make a man feel good. She knows exactly what to do, and she knows how to explain what she's doing. She's essentially getting into character. Yes. She can articulate what what she does and why it works and why it turns on a man who and how she can fulfill any man's fantasy, whatever fantasy that may be, whether she says whether he's fantasizing about a, a teacher he had in elementary school or, or a mistress or anything from here to there. So it establishes who she is. She'll be whatever you want her to be. Exactly. Then we go from there to Julianne Moore, who is a gynecologist. And the transition is she's looking out her office window in Toronto. By the way, this is one of the rare films in which Toronto is playing Toronto. <laughs> True. Usually Toronto is New York. Y- yeah, exactly. Any it's other city. London. Mm-hmm. It's Hong Kong. But uh, to Ogoyan's credit, he, he is a Canadian resident. He shot Toronto for Toronto. Okay, points to him. So Julianne Moore has a, a an office above the street, above a busy street, and she's looking out her window and observes uh, Seyfried's latest uh, John, or whatever you want to call him, client. Exploit. Putting her in a taxi cab. And that's a transition. We go into Moore's world. And Moore's world is a very clinical world. And it's not a spoiler because this is the like the first few minutes of the film where she's treating a young woman who's a ballet dancer, and the woman admits to her that she's never had an orgasm. And Moore says, well, you know, an orgasm is just a series of muscle contractions. You know, there's nothing mysterious about it. So she takes sex and makes it very clinical. It's not an experience that you have in your mind, just in your body. Right. Get it in your body and it'll happen. Bye. I'm a doctor. Bye. Right. And then we cut to Liam Neeson giving a college lecture and screening a a film version of the opera Don Giovanni, which, of course, is Don Juan, and talking about Don Juan's romantic exploits. Uh, So here we have three different approaches to sex and uh, and the mystique of sex or the lack of mystique surrounding sex. And that sets up our three characters. So, all right, what's the relationship? What's going on here? Julianne Moore is a successful doctor, and she's married to Liam Neeson, who apparently teaches in New York and commutes back and forth to Toronto. And their relationship has cooled. Uh, They have a son. They have a teenage son. It's like pasta because it's been strained. (laughs) It's a horrible joke, but you made it. You you did. (laughs) Say that again. It's like pasta because it's been strained. It's been strained. Okay. 
Let me write. I'm just going to write this down here. Okay. He is not writing, listeners. Oh no, I'm right because I want to commit that to he memory. He is not writing. Continue. All right. Uh, so he commutes back and forth from New York. Yeah, yeah, and there there are pressures there. Uh, they 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 still sort of love each other, but they're they're taking each other for granted. It's sort of like the relationship that we have, and the kids are all right. Yeah, that it's a oh, long, but, but but much more so. But much more so, I think. What do you mean? Uh, they're more neglectful of each other. Oh, yeah, yes, 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 yes. I mean that they're just at some sort of yeah. impasse as a couple. Right, right. But theirs is a more, a more dramatic impasse. Melodramatic. Yes. Uh, they're, uh, you know, they, they go out to dinner together. They go out with friends. But so, something's not right. And, and they even say at one point, when did we stop caring about each other? When did it stop? And yet neither one... Well, certainly Neeson doesn't seem to want to do anything about it. Uh, even a scene where he where they tentatively start to reconcile, he cuts it off, says he has papers to grade. So uh, there's something just not clicking. So the premise of the movie, l- lest we keep you in suspense much longer, is that Neeson flirts with a waitress one night when they're out with, a, with another couple. And it irritates Julianne Moore. And during the course of that dinner, she goes to the ladies' room and chances to meet Amanda Seyfried. And they have a little conversation. Amanda Seyfried actually is sort of intrigued with with Julianne Moore. And uh, they have a brief conversation that doesn't lead anywhere. But a seed is planted. And what happens is Julianne Moore decides to hire this woman, this Call girl, streetwalker, lady of the night, or just some, prostitute? What do some, you want to call her? Some sexy lady. A, <laughs> a, woman, a woman of the night. A woman of the night who works during the day as well. Uh, she decides to hire her deliberately to tempt her husband because she has seen an instant message on his phone that seems to indicate that he slept with one of his students. And so she's uh, shocked, upset. And doesn't know how to handle this, what to do about it. So she wants to confirm that she's not imagining things. She wants to sort of trap her husband in the act. So she hires. It's unclear uh, to me as well if she wants him to be cheating. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. That's a good question. What does she really want to find out? What does she want to find out? And that's one of the questions that we have about this character at mm-hmm. this point. So she hires the prostitute to, to, to tempt him. And then to report back on the result of her brushes with with Neeson. And uh, Neeson apparently succumbs. And Moore gets more and more upset and more and more confused. Well, she's getting uh, what is – she begins to get these very graphic and vivid descriptions from Amanda Seyfried's character, Chloe, about how she seduced – her husband, how he reacted, and Julianne Moore is titillated, I think is the word mm-hmm. I want to use here. She's mm-hmm. upset but somehow turned on at the exact same time. Yeah. And that's all we're going to tell you about the plot because I think to reveal more would be unfair even though we're not recommending this movie particularly. You know, And yet the setup is interesting. The setup is definitely interesting. So much espe- potential. Especially given these actors. Yes. And watching this one again, 
I couldn't take my eyes off Julianne Moore. It's played largely in close-ups of her face. And she just expresses so much. It's worth it to see her performance. It is. But I think that the the plot of this movie is ham-fisted. Oh. <laughs> it, it starts with this intriguing premise and then it goes off the rails. Off the rails. Way off the Way rails. Way off the rails. Just a train that is on fire. <laughs> so if we've intrigued you in any way, let us apologize because I don't think you'll be rewarded <laughs> for, for but, your curiosity. But do you hear why we – Committed to this? Mm-hmm. It's so interesting. At first, you're like, yeah. oh, okay, where's this going? Then it goes somewhere. You're like, that is not where that – wow. <laughs> I'm, I think I'm upset now. <laughs> but again, it's all about Julianne Moore. And you're right. Oh, There's yeah. so, such glorious it, – it's a very good showcase for yeah. the, the plethora of tools yeah. she has, uh, especially just – as a simple look, she can convey so much. Yeah. And again, early in the film, there's a scene where she comes home from a night out and she, you see her remove her makeup on camera. Not every actress of her age would willingly do that. She will and does. And, and by the way, she's still beautiful because she has a great face, ter- ter- terrific bone structure. <laughs> it's just a great face to look at. But it's not just physical beauty. It's that she she expresses vulnerability. She's searching. She's wounded. She's confused beyond all reason. She goes she goes for making this character work. Yeah, she makes it work, but it's it's not her fault that it doesn't work. Yeah, I it's not an amazing no. character. No, no, no. She, she she gives it a hundred percent. No question of that. She gives it one hundred percent. And uh, although Seifert is showcased pr- very prominently in this movie as well. Uh, Julianne Moore walks off, I think, with the acting honors because she is just so good. I think that Amanda learned some things. I think ever since this movie, her 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 abilities have gone up. My mm-hmm. personal opinion, but I, that's how good I think Julianne Moore is. Well, who you know, if you don't learn from working with somebody that exceptional, then you're not paying attention, are you? Absolutely correct. Uh, and and uh, and working. With, I mean, you're an actor, Baron. You, you can address this more than I can, but you know, certainly, if you work with somebody who's even better than you are, it brings up your game, does it not? Yes, it does. Some people can make toast look good. <laughs> I call those people Kevin Klein. <laughs> but you, you're only as good as your scene partner, and if you have an mm-hmm. incredible scene partner who can give you a lot of things. You, it's it's essentially like a a, a game. Someone's yeah. throwing you passes. Take the ball and dunk it, or take the ball and lay it up, or something. Yeah. And that's the kind of actress that Julianne Moore is, is is that she can give someone so much. And I think Amanda does take a lot of the stuff and and gives it back really well. There's there's actually some pretty good performances here. Yeah. It's just the writing is all over the place. Yeah. And now I haven't seen the French film, so I can't compare, you know, how closely it follows the original. And the screenwriter on this one is Aaron Cressida Wilson, who made, who was in fact was a film professor who mm. taught film, and then had a real breakout with a movie that some of you may remember called Secretary, in two thousand two. Uh, talk about a sexually provocative film with James Spader and Maggie Gyllenhaal, and that's a film if you see, you don't forget. <laughs> it makes a vivid impression. Absolutely. And she's had a spotty career since then. Her most recent screenplay uh, just came out a couple of months ago is Jason Reitman's latest film, Men, Women, and Children, which I, I did not get to see and which I did not hear very good things about, I'm sorry to say. Similar? 
But this know. person has traversed in this territory again. Yeah. Again, that's another thing. Adam Magoyan, this writer, they've they've gone down these paths and done well with well, them. Well, Agoyan is a is a superior filmmaker who's had lots of ups and downs in his career. I don't remember what introduced me to him, but I went on a binge of his early work at one point. Look, going back to the 80s, films like Family Viewing and Speaking Parts and Calendar. These are Canadian films that didn't get a lot of exposure south of the Canadian border. But they all came out on video, and I, I, I watched them on VHS. You remember VHS? I have no idea what you're talking about. And yeah, yes, you do. Yes, you do. Whatever you say, Senor Laserdisc. <laughs> <laughs> I have those too. But I watched these on VHS, and he uh, he's a really interesting writer. And you can tell as a director that he has a great command of mood and atmosphere. And one of the things he does set up at the beginning of Chloe is a, a mood and a sort of a sense of unease. Blues. And, and intrigue. There's blues and noir in there. Yep. It's, 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 and uh, he has in recent years, uh, since that uh, breakout in The Sweet Hereafter that really put him on the world map. Well, Exotica, I guess, put him on the world map in 1994. But then The Sweet Hereafter really sealed the, sealed the deal. And since then, he's, he's done a variety of films, not all of which he's written. He takes on some jobs for hire and uh, has, you know, had uh, a middling degree of success. His latest film, which again just came out in the past couple of months, is called The Captive with Ryan Reynolds, Scott Speedman, and Rosario Dawson. And it came and went in the blink of an eye. Wow. Yeah, and, I didn't even and, hear about and it. it did not get good reviews. Not at all. And uh, that's a shame. And uh, because I was busy seeing other stuff, I never got around to this. And at one point, I wouldn't dare miss a Nagoyan film because I'm such a follower. Uh, and he wrote and directed The Captive. But uh, I, I wish it had been better reviewed. It would have inspired me to see it a lot sooner. So Chloe, not a, not a prime recommendation for anybody involved with it. Except if you if you're enough of a Julianne Moore fan, you will not be disappointed with her. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think I just thought of a good rhyme for it. Go ahead. Uh, if it was still in the theaters, I'd say Chloe. No need to goey. Oh, I'm so glad it's not in the theaters yeah, anymore. So you I don't know. have to say that. No need to goey. It might make you snore unless you like Julianne Moore. Now, now wait. A minute. You're going to spend the whole year coming up with slogans? Nope. No. I, I think that, that that is something that, that is uh, born and died in the same day, <laughs> in the same same moment. Maybe Twitter so, will feel differently. Okay, so so before the first month of the year is out, we have buried this idea, right? Definitely. Just, just want to be sure. My catchphrase is trying out catchphrases that don't work. Okay, okay. Again, you know, I'm looking back over this long list of films that uh, she's made, and, and An Ideal Husband from the Oscar Wilde comedy, wonderful, Magnolia. Hannibal, Far From Heaven, The Hours, I'm Not There, A Single Man, Don John. This is, a, this is an actress who can and will try any kind of role. She's done mainstream romantic comedies like Nine Months. She's done thrillers like Hannibal. Where she took over a role from Jodie Foster. Right. Which I, everyone thought was a bad idea, but she still pulled yeah. it off. 
She even played the mom in the remake of Carrie the yeah, year before that's last. right. That's right. So uh, there's uh, there's so much to her career and so much to explore. But there's another movie for us to talk about. There is. And that's our sleeper of the week. A sleeper. Not one of the – we haven't mentioned this title before. Mm-hmm. Not in our discussion today. So we have one that we're going to recommend that very few people saw. And Baron hadn't seen it until I nudged him <laughs> hard enough that he agreed to give it a try. And I knew what you mean, nudge, nudge. So I enjoyed it very much. I'm glad. Well, you'll find out what that is in just a moment. Hey, listeners. Help Malton on Movies stay free to download by completing the short anonymous survey. Anonymous? Yes. No one will know who you are. No one will know who you are, and it will take no more than five minutes. We, we, we're going to get your answers because – that's going to help match our show with advertisers that best fit the sensibilities of our podcast and its listeners, listeners like you. We don't want you to pay for this show. We want it to be free. And this is how it's going to work. Listeners who complete the survey will be entered in an ongoing monthly raffle to win a $100 Amazon gift card. That's pretty good. I could use that gift card myself. Mm-hmm. You're not eligible to enter. I'm not eligible, but you guys are. All right. So we promise not to share your, your email addresses, not to share them, not to sell them. Maybe if someone gives us a lot of money. No, that's legally impossible. (laughs) (laughs) We will not share or sell your email addresses, and you won't get an email unless you win. So keep looking in that inbox. Yes. (laughs) Look in that inbox. Make sure you save us as not junk. (laughs) Please go to podsurvey.com slash Malton. That's podsurvey.com slash Malton. Malton, M-A-L-T-I-N. That's how you take our survey and get a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card to keep this podcast free. Thank you very much, listeners. Welcome back to Malton and Movies with Baron Vaughn. I am with Baron Vaughn. And I am not with Leonard Malton. I'm just Leonard Malton. You're just Leonard Just, just, just plain. Good just old, plain Leonard Malton. Good old Leonard. That's all good, you are. Good old. Old apostrophe. Old, old apostrophe. Oh, I good said old, it with an apostrophe. Good old Leonard Malton. Yeah, definitely. That's me. So we have and one more movie to talk about. We have one more movie to talk about, and it's one that I am delighted to talk about. And I'm delighted you told because, me about it. Well, I'm a proselytizer for this movie. It's called The Prize Winner of Defiance, Ohio. And you might say, what? Because that's what most people say when I recommend the movie. It's called, one more time, The Prize Winner of Defiance, Ohio. It came out in 2005. I fell in love with it. So did my wife and daughter. We all went crazy for this movie. And I couldn't pay people to go to see this film. <laughs> was the title a turnoff, you think? or Maybe, just an odd title. And yet it had been a best-selling book. It's based on a best-selling nonfiction book. The full title of the best-selling book by Terry Ryan is The Prize Winner of Defiance, Ohio, How My Mother Raised Ten Kids on 25 Words or Less. Whew. And it's, it's a, a memoir. That title is 25 Words. <laughs> it's a memoir. So it's based on a true story. And... It's it's a period piece. It begins in 1956. It takes place mostly, I think, in that year. And it's so interesting. Well, I'm going to let you talk about it first because you just saw it for the first time. Yeah, well, I mean, it's definitely a period piece. Definitely 50s. It takes place in Iowa. So no, Ohio. Ohio, excuse me, Ohio. So there's a very strong kind of American values mm-hmm. uh, at the core. And it's about a woman who has had 10 children, 
with her husband, played by an incredible Woody Harrelson. Because you mentioned Game Change earlier. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, oh, Woody Harrelson. Because to me, that was the first time I'd ever seen them together in a mm-hmm. film. But they're together in this film. Mm-hmm. So that movie was actually them reuniting, whereas this movie was a time that they had worked together and it worked out really well. So essentially, this is a story about a woman who has always been in love with words. She fell in love with the man who was a singer. It doesn't work out for him, whereas she continues to uh, foster this talent of hers, which becomes uh, the way that she provides for her family. Because at the time, there's all these television contests, radio contests, ways to write in uh, poetry and song lyrics and just make money. And she keeps making, winning all these prizes. Now, here's the thing. I remember this era. I remember this era. And uh, this was a period when if you had a way with words, if you were clever, and she's she plays a woman who aspired to be a reporter, to pursue a journalism career, and didn't get to do that. So this is where she funnels her creativity. In those days, there were an endless number of these contests, magazines, newspapers, and every medium, as you just said. And the gist of it was you had to come up with a slogan or a little jingle or a poem or complete a sentence about why you like a certain product. And contests were then judged on creativity and originality. I had an aunt, a great aunt, actually, who did this. Oh, that's fantastic. I remember her doing this. And she had the knack, and she won stuff, <laughs> but not not the way this woman did. Evelyn Ryan, the, the main character of this film, is has a kind of a genius for writing catchy phrases Sentences, slogans, poems, whatever you want to call them. A knack. And, but she does, she does it for a reason. She's got 10 kids to feed and no money. And she needs these prizes. She needs that prize money. And her husband is what they used to call in the old days a ne'er do well. <laughs> an expression I just love. Because you ne'er see him doing well. And no. He's a guy, and, and of course, you, you might wonder, well, why is she married to this loser? But they, they explain that pretty well. Oh, and it's, it's beautiful, too. Yeah. He's, he's a guy with enormous frustration in his life. And, and insecurity, and at a time where yeah. the man was supposed to be the breadwinner. Right. And that's another big part of this movie, is expressing the role of women in America in the 1950s. In the Midwest. Especially in the Midwest, but I think almost anywhere. Definitely. Women were condescended to in unbelievable ways. And she is patronized by everyone from their banker to their milkman. Uh, there's a there's a really um, telling scene in the beginning where there's a, there's a bit of a fight. Mm-hmm. Um, in which um, uh, Woody Harrelson's character, get he's kind of liquored up. Mm-hmm. He starts beating a freezer, throws things, and when the cops are called, they're just kind of huddled around him talking about the game, and they leave saying, hey, don't give him a hard time. Just right. Like, oh, that's, yeah, what, he just, that's he just, awesome. Yeah, he just drank too much. He needs to sleep it, it off. Right. Those are the priorities of the time. That's what she has to live with. And if you're wondering why a woman like this would put up with that, would, would, would put up with this violent – Behavior that's always fueled by alcohol and by his latent anger, which is always simmering not far beneath the surface. 
That's made clear, too. She did fall in love with him. She committed to the marriage. She's got these 10 children. She's not leaving them. She's not walking out. She has to grit her teeth and deal with it. But more than that, she has to find a way to bring some some money into the household, and if not money, then goods that they can use. And somehow this woman finds so much joy in these little moments with Mm -hmm. her children when she comes up with a rhyme or a turn of phrase that she likes, and then she wins these prizes in which she also gets to experience the world that she doesn't get to go to because she has to stay in one place taking care of 10 kids. It's, it's, a, it's a great time capsule. And if you think that what you see in this film isn't true, let me assure you, it is. These things were as they depict them. They really were. And People lived this way. Women had to endure so much at that time. And it is not coincidental. It is not at all coincidental. This film was written and directed by a woman, a very, very talented woman named Jane Anderson, who started as a performer, then became a writer and director, a playwright of note, and a screenwriter, television writer, director. And she has a a tremendous resume. She just wrote the miniseries for HBO, uh, Olive Kittredge, with Frances McDormand, that uh, was directed by Lisa Cholodenko, who made The Kids Are All Right. Hey. Everything ties together. Connections. And she's, she's got wonderful credits. But after this film's failure in 2005, uh, other offers didn't come so easily. Oh, was it a big failure? Yeah. Ah, oh, that's, that's really I'm sad. telling you, I, I, I was out there beating the drums for this movie, and not everybody was, but I sure was, uh, to, uh, to no avail. To no avail. It just didn't seem appealing to people. And I remember that w- one of the things they did, and, and I hate when studios do this, is they pitched it as a nostalgic comedy. The trailer, if, even if you go back now and watch the trailer, mm. they're trying to sell it as a nostalgic comedy. I have a a, a sincere belief that when studios do that and mislead the public, there's a a smell, there's an aroma, and the public can can detect it. They can detect the the deception. They can detect the phoniness. They smell it a mile away, and they say, well, I don't know. I'm not going to see that. It feels like they are saying, hey, we want your dollar, not we want you to see this movie. They're being sold a bill of goods, but they weren't buying. So that's too bad. I mean, obviously, she just did a very high-profile HBO movie, so she's not idle at all. But I have a feeling if this film had been more successful, she might have been able to do a even, lot more. even more. Uh, if you go back, though, and look at some of her TV movies like The Positively True Adventures of the Alleged Texas Cheerleader Cheer- – I'm going to say this again. I'm going to get this out. The Positively True Adventures of the Alleged Texas Cheerleader Murdering Mom. 1993 TV movie that got a lot of attention at the time, directed by the great Michael Ritchie and starring Holly Hunter. Uh, Holly Hunter, who later played Billie Jean King in a TV movie that she wrote called When Billy Beat Bobby. She wrote and directed that. Jane Anderson? Yep. Wow. She, she adapted her play Normal with Jessica Lange and Tom Wilkinson. She's done wonderful, wonderful work. And this is one of her best. And what's also interesting about this film is that it it's told in a kind of a postmodern way because Julianne Moore tells us the story on camera in character in character with Evelyn Ryan but Evelyn Ryan is in the shot 
sort of narrating the story of Evelyn Ryan, who's also in the shot as Evelyn Ryan. It's it's like a uh, commercial. Yeah, for itself, just like the the TV shows that she was watching at the time. It's a device, and it's a it's a device that sounds like it might be awkward or off putting, but I don't I didn't find it so. It's charming. It uh, it establishes the period and establishes the milieu of the film very very well. There's a wonderful section of the movie, a subplot, where Evelyn finds that there are other women just like her. Yes, with Laura Dern, who yeah. writes her a letter. Mm-hmm. A, a, a great letter, and we see Laura Dern talking to the camera, right. direct address, while Julianne Moore is reading this letter. And it's a, it's a great little sequence. And for her to know that there are others like her out there yes, as well. They, they find this little community uh, where they support each other and encourage each other. Rather than being competitive in a negative way, they cheer each other on. But there's also this thing that becomes uh, important in the movie that – we're nearing the end of all of these contests being a thing. Yes, and this is part of the poignancy of the film is that it's talking about a time when a lot of things were off kilter, like the treatment of women. But on the other hand, there was this one outlet that they had and they see the end coming when contests begin to be randomized and you win simply by uh, entering a sweepstakes. And there's no talent involved. No skill necessary. No skill required. No skill required, right? That's on one of the, uh, one of the invites to yeah. a contest. Yeah, the woman yeah. holds so, it up. So we've gained so much in the 60 years since this film is set, and we've lost a little something too. And that, that's what makes the film bittersweet. And through it all is Julianne Moore playing a character that is – how do we describe her? She's indomitable. I guess that's the word. She's indomitable. The woman, she's not a saint. She's not a martyr, although some people would call her a martyr, I guess. <laughs> she's tenacious. But she's she's unstoppable because there's reality to deal with. And the reality is that she has 10 children who have to be fed and clothed and looked after. The milkman can't be paid when he gets there. They, they, have the, they have bills to pay, mortgages to pay. Things need to happen. So that's what drives her more than anything to continue to write all of these songs and enter all these contests and stuff. And she endures an awful lot. But, but you, you, you under, she, Julianne Moore makes you or helps us understand why this woman endures and survives and even thrives at times. In spite of tremendous adversity, tremendous most of the adversity, adversity being the time that she's born in. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and the husband she chose, alas. Who's of the time? <laughs> yeah. Woody Harrelson in a, in a really fine performance, a very really well tuned performance. I'll say he plays the eleventh child. Yeah. Yeah. Only the the uh, the 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 worst of the children, the <laughs> the, the errant child, the if most there ever was disobedient. One. He's not disobedient. He's uh, he's a ne'er do well. Yes, as you exactly. Said he's yeah. a ne'er do well, and he's he doesn't even understand at times the the harm that he's causing and the hurt that he's inflicting. Uh, it, it's he's a pathetic character. He really is, and that's partly why you don't dismiss him because he is so pathetic. His his anger only has one outlet, and that's liquor. And the liquor makes him do terrible things. Uh, what an interesting story. 
It almost makes me, if I had more time to read, and I love to read, I'd love to read the original book by the daughter, Terry Ryan. And uh, because I've read one review online that said the book's even better than the movie. Huh. Uh, There's a great little scene where the Terry, who's the uh, the daughters who's who wrote the book, is taking her mother to meet the uh, the social club of all the women who who enter these contests, mm-hmm. and they break down. And she, there's a little scene where she asks her, "Why do you stay here?" And all the doubt. I mean, Julianne Moore again, just she she brings such vulnerability and such clarity and likability to this yeah. character yeah. that we we get it. Yeah. You know, we don't like it. But we get it, yeah. and we essentially are in the shoes of her children mm-hmm. when we watch this movie. Just like, yeah. why does this woman stay there? Yeah. But we, but we get it by the end. Yeah, we relate to her, and we wish she would stand up to all these idiot men around her. But we also understand that that wasn't the way. You know, uh, have you seen the movie Big Eyes yet? I haven't, but uh, there's some similar themes there. Yeah. Yes, Big Eyes also uh, the, the film about Margaret Keene, the artist. Stars Amy Adams as a woman of her time also. And it begins in the late 50s, then goes into the 60s. But she also plays a woman who gets trapped in a in a destructive marriage. She leaves one marriage and remarries a character played by Christoph Waltz that that changes her life somewhat for the better and then a lot for the worse because as a single woman or as a divorced woman, she really has few options at that time. And this is certainly vividly enacted in the prize winner of Defiance, Ohio. But it's not a downer movie. I, I'm making it sound like it's a depressing movie, and it's 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 not. Well, it's, a, it's a bittersweet movie. It's bittersweet is, is exactly right. That's why I say that we get it, you know, yeah. because it's – we don't go like, oh, man, she didn't survive that. She did survive it. Yes. The whole movie is about her surviving. Yes. And surviving and finding a way to finding equanimity, finding that balance in herself where she is not a victim. She's determined not to be a victim. And some people would say, well, how can you not describe her as a victim? Well, she is. But she doesn't want to be one. She doesn't want to behave like one. She doesn't want to react or respond like one. She's a winner. And, and that's what makes her a winner. Absolutely so. You put the button on it, Baron. Hey. What a guy. <laughs> so those are three Julianne Moore movies. There are dozens more, needless to say. But these are the three we chose. The Kids Are All Right, Chloe, and the prize winner of Defiance, Ohio, <laughs> My Sleeper. Uh, of all time, just just a, a wonderful movie that people need to see, ought to see, will be glad they saw. I watched it on the Amas. On yes, <laughs> the Amas. Is that how we're uh, see? No, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if you I wanted sure to say it. You weren't going to go all the way with it. <laughs> all right, but you did. I did. But you did. It's on the old fashioned DVD and Blu-ray. I mean, you can get it in many forms. However, you get it, see it. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode. Uh, We both enjoyed revisiting these movies. And even Chloe, we enjoyed watching her again. Yes. So that was not a waste of time. Prize winner was my first time seeing that one, Mm -hmm. and I'm I'm glad I saw it. And we'll be back next week with more movies because that's what we do here. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you for your feedback. We appreciate it. If you want to find me between now and then, I am on Twitter at Leonard Malton. 
And I am online at my website, leonardmalton.com. Yes, I'm also on Twitter. Twitter? <laughs> I'm, <laughs> thinking on Twitter. Of, I'm thinking of Twitter and winning. So they ping. I'm on Twitter at B A R V O N B L A Q. That's Bar Von Black. That's my, my tribute to prize winner. Just making a little jingle there. <laughs> That's all for now. We'll see you next time. Pop. 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 Wolf Pop is part of Midroll Media, executive produced by Adam Sachs, Matt Gorley, and Paul Shear. What's spring like in Park City, Utah? Imagine waking up on a bluebird day to ski the greatest snow on earth at two world-class resorts, Park City Mountain and Deer Valley. Exploring miles of wide open spaces by snowshoe or cross-country skis. Wandering our historic Main Street with its opera ski scene and award-winning restaurants. When you love it like we love it, Park City, Utah will always be winter's favorite town. Join the experience at visitparkcity.com.